This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Today, we're talking about remote working, right? And what is the responsibility of the organization uh, to their workers uh, who are remote working? And then the other side of it, too, is um, do we change our plans, you know, and do we take a look at what emergency operations plans are uh, when we're looking at remote workers as well? And uh, Rodrigo, welcome back to Ian Weekly. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's such an important topic right now. We are in a in uh in in uncharted territories and 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 the changing work environments dramatically affects uh, emergency management at multiple levels both at the way we deal with our with our own uh, offices and the way we distribute our own resources as emergency managers but also the way uh, private corporations are responding uh, to the post-covid world so thank you so much for for inviting me to talk about this no, absolutely. I think it's a great conversation. And I, I want to kind of break it down into segments. And first I want to talk about the organization, the company, the the even 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 government organizations, what their responsibilities are moral and and legal, if there are legal responsibilities, because we're in a gray area here now, uh, when their employees are working from home. I mean, not not that I want to get into this, but I was thinking about this the other day. Is if if I'm working from home and I'm doing the dishes and I cut my finger. Right. Is that a workman's comp issue? <laughs> you know, I mean, like something like that. But what is the what is the legal responsibility, um, if not legal, or the moral responsibility of employee employers to their employees that are working from home when it comes to risk management? Yeah. So this is a, it's an interesting conversation and I won't pretend to act, to, 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 to be a, a worker come lawyer here. So, right, right, so right. Absolutely not. But you're, but you're completely right that this is the kind of questions that we will be opening. So for human resources, the whole issue of what is the right mix between your own assets and the assets of the company, all this, all this is being, is being questioned. Now for emergency managers uh, and, and uh, people that require specifically uh, employees to be active at a certain time. So, so there's a, already a difference here be, between synchronous and asynchronous work. And we, we, we might be able to, to talk more about it as we discuss continuity of operations. Um, if you, if you, if you depend of a certain employee, uh, to be active in order to be able to perform your job and kind of what you're saying, and he's or she's performing duties and has a, an injury at home. Uh, that affects your 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 response plans, right? So that is, that is, that for sure will affect the way you think about uh, your uh, the office of the future. What is your responsibility uh, as an emergency manager, as a planner, uh, just as a manager of the organization to be able to function uh, when you might not have the details of why one employee might not be responsive at any given time. Right. So uh, these are these are questions that we will be asking more and more uh, as we distribute our workforce in ways that are still experimental. We're still learning uh, just in the past two weeks, just today, Uber kind of announced a revamping the third one, I think, within within two months 
of their policies regarding work at home. Uh, the same thing went for, for Google and Apple. So uh, these big companies with headquarters all over the globe, with, with offices all over the globe, are uh, just learning what it means to have a distributed workforce. And think right. what it means, for example, Todd, for for evacuation plans, right? Where yeah. an office where you used to think that there were 500 employees might only have 250. Or now we're seeing companies allowing people to work in different offices, right? So if you want to be traveling uh, and we have multiple offices in the United States, I don't care to which one you go as, lo as long as you go to one every three days. So it's it, it, you might be today checking in in Chicago, but three days later you might be checking in in Los Angeles, right? So, right. well, I might not even know uh, who I should contact in case there's an emergency in one of those buildings and you were present, right? So these, these things force us to recognize that a lot of the ideas we have regarding who is and who who is where at any given time are not valid anymore, right? And this is what makes it so exciting. I, there's another program that I, that I do. It's called Prepare, Respond, Recover. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard that or not, but I interviewed Jeff Ryder from uh, Paramount Studios um, about kind of talking about this and and my conversation with him started really talking about the idea of like how because as as a production house they have productions going all over the world right and so they have people that go and do pre-check the area they have plans specifically for emergencies uh for security issues in those specific areas when they're doing their training or their their filming um but when gas covid hit you know they they did go to a dispersed workforce letting people work from home and you know obviously some obviously people don't know in california we have the wildland fire issue um a lot right and so uh areas that up in the hills and things like this that uh, with evacuation they ran into some of that where their employees uh, were in, in some of the fire zones where they had to evacuate and they actually made accommodations for them and helped them um, find other locations to go to, not just for work, but just for their own safety. And they took that step further um, for their employees. And that kind of goes to, to now that people are working remotely, you know, um, you know, do companies and organizations have that more responsibility to look out for those evacuations, say from wildland fires compared to, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago, when, you know, during the daytime they're at the office and maybe they're concerned about them, let them go home uh, or whatever. But, uh, you know, what, what's that, what's that next step uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to that? I, I think that's a good question. And I, I don't presume to have the answer. I'll, I'll, I'll make a comment about what I think, but first, first it's interesting to understand that there are, there are a, a different, telework policies and depending on the telework policy we're talking about for the private sector or the public sector you might end up with different formulas regarding the question you're asking so the first one is well everybody comes back to work right that's that's what some companies are kind of toying with the idea we don't want to lose the magic we don't want to lose the face-to-face -face. so we go to business as usual even that one comes with with certain new risks because in the post-covid era there will be different expectations of what happens when somebody's sick and and social distancing, I I, I would say that the open uh, open office floor plan uh, it's under pressure right now. People don't feel comfortable anymore necessarily sharing an open space the way we used to. There were already problems with it before, so that's the first scenario, right? Is is uh, everybody back to the office? The, the second one is kind of the hybrid mode 
where I want you, I don't know, two times a week or three times a week or one time a week or whatever, right? So whatever formula. Um, and then the third one is tell a remote, tell telework as much as you want, wherever you want, from wherever you want. These last two are different because if I tell you, Todd, you still have to be in my office twice, uh, uh, twice a week. You will remain in the vicinity of the headquarter, right? You might you might move away to a cheaper neighborhood. You might go. So what we're seeing a lot in California, right? People in Los Angeles might be moving to cheaper suburbs of LA, but you still kind of remain in the area. Now, if I tell you that you don't have to come back anymore, or maybe only once every three months, now you can go go maybe to Palm Springs, right? Or here in the Bay Area, you might go to to Tahoe. Or if I tell you never at all. You might go and move to Indonesia, right? Yeah. Or Bora Bora, right? Because who cares? I don't have to be in the office. I just come to the meeting every six months and pay the play ticket. Depending on those policies, I have different responsibilities. Because if you if you stay in the neighborhood, right? If you if you still have to come three times a week, there's not that much change, right? I'm I, I'm already capturing your your address. You're probably not moving away. You are just coming less to the office. So and you and I more or less still share the same risk profile. My mm. headquarters and your house are in the same place. But if you are in Palm Springs and I, I am headquartered in the Bay Area, suddenly our risk profile is completely different. An earthquake that hits the Bay Area might not affect at all uh, Southern California. Fires in the north of the United States might have no... And then if you're international, right? If you move to Indonesia or Mexico, a coup d'etat in, 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 in a country would end up being an emergency management issue for me. Yeah. Right? So... <laughs> So what I would say is a lot of this depends on understanding the formula of telework that a company decides to apply. And depending on that comes a change in the balance of the kinds of risks that you will have to factor in your pre-planning. You know, we, we've seen this move to telework way before COVID happened. Uh, Tim Ferriss, author, wrote this book called The Four-Day Work Week, I think it's called, where he talks about working from home. Um, and the story goes on his, like, you know, he, he started working from home once a week and, you know, they became weekly. And then like now he was literally uh, on the beaches of Thailand working and his, his, you know, boss didn't know where he was at and nobody's getting the work done. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, I mean, there was that kind of that move, right? Everybody's kind of the dream job is to be able to telework. Now that now companies also were kind of fighting against that because they wanted to have, that face-to-face -face contact. And now that they've seen telework being um, uh, acceptable, uh, and a matter of fact, some companies I know uh, are actually not asking their workers to come back. They're letting telework to occur uh, because they're able to reduce the footprint on their on their rent, right? And I mean, I know this one company, a friend of mine um, is, has an insurance firm, and he said he's paying $19,000 a month um, for his office and he's looking at letting more teleworking happen so he can reduce that footprint to reduce that, that, uh, overhead. Now that being said, now you're telling people, Hey, you, uh, you have to work from home. Um, does that change the dynamic compared to, and um, we're going to let you work from home. Yeah, exactly. So, so I would say that for com companies are under two main pressures regarding telework one is yeah the, the the real estate cost right so the the, the savings on office space etc and a lot of people have put a, a a target on that one and had identified i think that the most important one is that they also are under the talent pool management pressure right so 
Um, if I am a great employee, I'm a top performer in my field, a coder, an analyst, whatever, whatever I do, and I'm the best that I do. Now I have options, right? And if a company is telling me that I have to relocate to the middle of the boonies and deroute my, my kids and take the, I'm not going to go there, right? Uh, but if a company is telling me that I can work for there anywhere and they just want my talent and my time and my Zoom calls, the way you and I are discussing right now, Todd, uh, then I, I'm so, so suddenly uh, uh, employees who are top performers uh, have a competitive advantage uh, and can put pressure on the company to say, sure, you can hire me, but I don't want to necessarily relocate. So it becomes this this issue of um, that, that comes with salary. Let, let me say that if I'm a company in California hiring coders and I'm competing in the Bay Area, Los Angeles market, uh, I'm going to be limited to the kind of people I can hire because there's not a lot of people available who are good at that and have no job. Uh, and secondly, I'll have to command very high salaries. If, on the other hand, I can hire anybody in the country, suddenly my talent pool grew exponentially wider and I might actually be able to pay less because a cost of living, uh, the cost of living in Indiana is lower than the one in California. Right, and the coder might be as good as the one that I would be hiring here. So those are the pressures that companies have, and they will not be able to avoid it. That's why uh, I think telework, in some fashion, is here to stay. As emergency managers, what we have to do, uh, especially for those dealing with private sector, but even public, right? So uh, uh, emergency management offices in state, suddenly the profile of people that you are dealing with has changed. Right, you might now be part of a critical supply chain without knowing it right because right. Suddenly a lot of people move to your neighborhood and they are they are uh, knowledge workers in the pharmaceutical sector right and and uh, you might never have thought yourself as a pharmaceutical I, this is an example i actually know from a county you might never have thought of yourself as a pharmaceutical uh, uh, county and nevertheless now you have 10 expert people from one laboratory who are now doing all of the bioinformatics calculations from your beautiful neighborhood. And suddenly, if something happened in your neighborhood, the pharmaceutical critical sector of the United States of America would be affected. Mm. Right? You know, that kind of goes back to this idea, though, is like emergency managers, we, we can have ideas of, of what our population is during certain times of day, right? Uh, so, for instance, there's some areas here in Los Angeles County um, and in Orange County uh, that are more, um, that get populated more, like in the financial centers, if you will, right? During the, during the daytime, thousands of people are coming into work. At nighttime, thousands of people leave and and your your demographics change and the, the risks of, of evacuation, what that looks like, what that looks like on the roadways, um, all of that changes uh, due to uh, movement of people, right? Um, with more people staying at home, um, does an evacuation map look different uh, and, and does that play out differently and do emergency managers at the municipal level ha <clears throat> have to take more people being at home into consideration during, say, an evacuation, daytime evacuation for a fire? 
Yeah, and, and I mean, again, as you mentioned, this trend was ongoing, right? So so we're seeing more and more reverse commutes, San Francisco being the poster child of that, in which more and more uh, hipster techies wanted to live in the downtown area and actually would commute out of the city to Silicon Valley companies. Uh, so so trends in, in, in urbanism have been already putting pressure on commuting uh, on commuting patterns. The historical suburb to downtown, downtown to suburb uh, pattern was already not happening in many places. Uh, and, and I think you're right, this will accelerate it. So one of the consequences of this is that, that I think we need to get better granular data. Uh, uh, there are ways of doing it, uh, but I think that we need more real-time data of commuting time. Some some cities are moving to smart city technology to measure the amount of uh, parking spots being used. Uber or Waze sell their data to uh, uh, cities so you can see in real time uh, mobility patterns within the city. But that, that certainly is an issue, right? That, that in this case, you will see. The other thing is pressure in infrastructure. The more coders move to, I don't know, Truckee or Palm Springs, uh, the more they will be using part of the fiber optic backbone of that area, right? So suddenly that uh, push to more communication equipment uh, becomes important, especially during during an emergency. So you're seeing a, a, that things that used to be very predictable, I think that would be that would be the rule of thumb, that things that used to be really predictable are not predictable anymore. And, and but they're observable and you can mm -hmm. learn from 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 seeing those patterns. Hey, I take a quick break. I got to mention our, our sponsors. We all know emergency management is dynamic. What you need to know and do can cover all kinds of fields and change on a dime. When choosing a partner, you want someone just as dynamic to help you keep up. The Mid-Atlantic Center for Emergency Management Public Safety is just that. A FEMA partner and one-stop shop for college academics, custom training and consulting. They cover it all and bring you the best of each. So whether you're looking to start your degree, go back to school, train your people, or anything in between, they're here for you. See what you can build together at frederick.edu backslash M-A-C-E-M-P-S. That's M-A-C-E-M-P-S. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limits Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter Ian Weekly, all capitals, at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. Power outages can happen at any time. Is your community prepared? The Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can be used to address the need for temporary power for your community. In addition, the Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can provide a platform to support your public information and community resiliency outreach efforts throughout the year to educate and inform people about the need to always be ready. For more information, visit PowerUpConnect.com. That is PowerUpConnect.com. So, Rodrigo, come back in. There you go. Uh, 
you know, work on the fly sometimes. You have to, you got to do what you got. Oh, it do. pays the bills <laughs> for sure. They're, but they're great, great sponsors, by the way. They, they are, and you know, in, in Mid Atlantic, they're, we're actually doing a um, uh, uh, this month. We're already in July. Well, happy Fourth of July weekend, by everybody. Okay. Um, we and we're going to be having them uh, talk about lifelines, community lifelines. Uh, we have the webinar coming up on on July fifteenth. And I think it's going to be a great webinar. Um, you know, so it's the Mid-Atlantic Center for, thank you, Daniel, Mid-Atlantic Center for Emergency Management. I knew I, I missed it up and I do apologize uh, to them. But yeah, they're gonna, it's going to be a great uh, a webinar. We're going to be talking about the lifelines, what it means, um, how, because they actually helped develop those, those lifeline program uh, that that organization did and Mid-Atlantic so, Center for Emergency Management. So imagine what it means to stabilize lifelines in the context of remote telework, right? right? So, so that suddenly, suddenly, as you're trying to gather information, uh, lifelines, one of their biggest virtue is, is that they consolidate a pipeline of information in order to achieve that, that green light. Uh, this is good and bad, right? So on the, one, on the one hand, you will not have everybody in the same office. On the same hand, people will be more socialized and used to, this is something we haven't talked about, what, what happens for effective telework is very relevant to emergency management, right? Because we are now more socialized to the importance of constant reporting and exchange. So it actually might improve our capacity within a corporation, for example, to get, gather the relevant data. Uh, and and stabilize those those lifelines. You know, we talked about um, a little bit about smart cities. You kind of teased it a little bit, and I think that's one of the things I'm really interested in that that concept. I've been doing a ton of work uh, research on 5G, how 5G is going to increase communication issues. It, you know, um, making these phones uh, even more uh, robust. Uh, the concept of the mesh networking, specifically uh, when phone to phone mesh networking, if the you know, if you lose cell connection, uh, things like that, I think are really interesting. You know, the smart cars that actually have uh, 5G nodes on them as they're driving around, I think is kind of an interesting concept to make the smart city. You know, um, you know what, what does this mean now for us? Because we're now going to put extra stress on the infrastructure because there's no longer piping in the fast internet into into buildings, right? You know, uh, I'm in an area that has uh, one provider that we can use, Spectrum. Um, you know, they have Spectrum Office, but now at each home, you, you know, is is a Spectrum Office, right? Uh, whether they know it or not, or the Spectrum understands this, you know. And how do they increase the speeds and robustness? Because, like, if you get, you can, you, you, everybody knows, right? If you were back, you know, used to be, if you're working from home, it would work fine until say about five o'clock when everybody came home and started turning on their devices around this, around your neighborhood. And then all of a sudden you start lagging in your speeds. Uh, now everybody's home all the time. Uh, can we still work with a high speed internet that we think that we have? Yeah. So I, I think there are so many interesting things there to discuss. The first one is that the internet clearly has become much more essential to our operations. That's that, that should be a given and it shouldn't be a surprise to say it. You and I are conducting this podcast uh, using using the internet. Uh, we haven't seen each other in a while. We keep in contact. We keep chatting. I feel that I've been in contact with you. Todd. I don't know when was the last time we physically were in the same space uh, together, right? right. So, so that, that shows us how important this thing has become to us. And 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 we should and we are and this is why we we make of cyber and uh, we should consider it as important critical infrastructure it is now the good news about remote uh, it comes with bad ones but is that actually remove single single points of failure 
right? So a, a, a widely distributed a, a, a widely distributed workforce, for example, uh, is actually much less vulnerable to catastrophic collapse than those in the same headquarter. Because if the internet of that headquarter goes down, then everybody loses the capability. Whereas in this case, you actually might. So it goes to continuity of operations question, right? How do you plan for continuity of operations? Well, it turns out that having people in Hawaii and in India and in uh, downtown Chicago, it's great because whenever one office goes dark, the others might be able to pick up the slack. And already many companies who have a global footprint are used to planning for stuff like that, right? Who takes over if one of our Office, regional offices goes down. Well, now if even medium-sized businesses can do something like that. If some of my employees are in San Bernardino and some are in the downtown LA and some are in Palm Springs, so a regional footprint, that still gives me some advantages regarding uh, emergency response, right? So uh, if the big one comes and some of my employees are on the East Coast, I know that not everybody is going to be hit by it. And I, I might actually be at least able to respond phone calls and field customers. On so one thing that I would say is for every company who's managing, uh, who's managing uh, a remote workforce, uh, they need to perform what I call a, a, a geopolitical emergency management analysis. Right? Put a map in front of you and pinpoint where Joe and Jill and Frank and Sophie leave, right? And put all those pins on the map and rethink your emergency management footprint and your continuity of operations challenges. Uh, and new opportunities will come, right? I'm just seeing it in one company I was talking with. One of their one of their employees uh, uh, moved from California to Hawaii and during the big fire season when everybody was being evacuated, uh, he basically became the customer support. It's not even his job, right? But he basically became the customer support of the company, of mid-sized company, because he was the only one whose life was not disrupted mm. at that specific time, right? So those are the opportunities. There are threats and problems that also come and vulnerabilities. But some of the opportunities is that if I'm distributed, suddenly single point of failures that we used to plan for and they were catastrophic are not anymore. So do governments now have to insist on the infrastructure? I, I was just doing reading an article uh, the other day regarding um, electrical issues, right? I wrote a paper on how to prepare for power outages. And, you know, we we're talking about here in California with the rolling blackouts or brownouts just because of the stress on the electrical system. You know, uh, power plants have gone down. We lost the nuclear power plant in, yep. in, uh, in here in Orange County and San Diego County border. Um, you know, so we're the, the generation of electricity has gone down. So the electrical system is is really stressed right now, and it's old. All right. Um, I was, I can't believe the fact that in the United States, so we actually have the worst, like, I guess I can't believe it. We have the worst electrical system than any developed nation um, in the world, partly because uh, we have such a, uh, a quilt of, of how power companies are, are, are run right now. Is this putting additional stress on that electrical system um, by being so distributed across the world, you know, across so the country? Yeah, I'm going to speak as a Californian, but I think that I'm, the thing that I'm going to say will apply to other areas. So, so you and I, I think the last podcast 
talked about the importance of the wildlife urban interface, right? So yeah. uh, uh, I, I, uh, I, I worry a lot about it in where we are. And I, I am very hypocritical saying that I worry because I live precisely on that on that space. I, I, I am in rural California. I love where I am. I'm in rural California, but enjoy all the benefits of an urban lifestyle, have great internet, but I'm surrounded by uh, 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 oak, oak trees and pine trees and eucalyptus. It's beautiful. Uh, but it does mean, for example, kind of what you're saying, that our electric grid uh, that that it's that it's uh, not robust that it's all that it's not underground i mean we 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 were cheap and we decided not to bury those wires when when europeans were doing it and now we're paying the cost so the more for example this this is something that has been worrying me a lot the more urbanites move to the wildlife urban interface right so the more uh, urban people is moving to semi-rural or ex-urban environments, the more pressure they'll continue to be for those areas, which frankly, from an emergency management perspective, should be empty of people, right? My house shouldn't exist. Uh, uh, from from uh, So they make them more desirable, right? So Americans are moving from San Francisco to Bend, Oregon, or to, or to Truckee, or to Tahoe, to these... Uh, and 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 that in itself does put pressure on the load and the charge, but also just on the emergency management. Right, the more people are building houses or or occupying those houses, the more potential, for example, for fires exist because there is more humans living in this tinderbox that are the the California forest. So the, definitely, we go from the footprint of urban challenges to the footprint or semi-rural challenges as this population distributes away a high cost of living areas, which is kind of the driving force. Most of the people who are moving away from San Francisco, Los Angeles are doing it in order to get more living space for less money, right? That's, that's it's, happened in, it's happened in New York too, though, right? You know, um, I still have, I'm from New York originally. I still have family. Um, I mean, they, they have people that are moving from New York City um, up to the Adirondacks, uh, because they can still work from up, up there, um, and and that puts a lot of stress on the on the system up there. You and, see, in you know? Silo, the ranches that they have in New York State, uh, beautiful properties uh, that you would buy for the price of a two bedroom condo in Upper Manhattan. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my sister just sold her farm uh, to somebody from Manhattan. Um, Seventeen acres, uh, old farmhouse, and uh, it was it was getting too big for her, so she sold to them. And you know, that was... that he might have been a Wall Street exec or a startup entrepreneur. He might not need to be only in the city, maybe three times or four times a year, right? So, right. so he can move to a beautiful farm. Yeah. So, but the, so the the thing about that though is is now now we're putting. Um, we can talk about this whole other issue. We're getting late here on our on our uh, talk here, but you know that, that the, having people moving out of those areas um, into the rural and uh, into the experts and you know in, into the suburbs, if you will, I think it's put additional stress on on those governments as well to have to provide services. Uh, and and what does that mean? And you know, this is something that we're going to have to really think about as emergency managers. You know, I, I, another conversation we've been having with Kyle King uh, on on his uh, feed on, on LinkedIn is, what does it mean to be an emergency manager? Um, you know, I, I think that we really need to be looking at helping out with urban planning, 
suburban planning, the new new urbanism, new suburbanism, understand yes. what those are, understand what those impacts are on, on emergency management and planning for those, uh, I think is, is really important. Hey, Rodrigo, we're going to have to get going here. Um, st- stand by. When I'll come back after we after we after we sign out. Uh, but I, I need to we're, we're here at the. Uh, at our at our hard our hard stop. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I, I a little bit a little bit weird today for us, but uh, it's it's awesome. I appreciate your your support and everything that's going on. But I think this is one of those really important topics that we have to get into is the idea of of what it is and how do we serve our communities that are changing, right? That that are growing, um, that are doing different things in this aspect of it and really need to understand the principles of, of urbanism, new suburbanism, um, and, and maybe even, you know, what it is with the, uh, with, with the expansion into, uh, into the rural areas with, with more and more people. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. Hey, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and your favorite podcast player. And, and please make the time. I, I'd love to have some, uh, so look, give us a ratings, uh, give us a five star. It'd be great. And share this with your friends and family. I can, I think this is information that not just for the professional emergency managers, but I think everybody can learn something from this as well. Well, until next time, stay safe and stay hydrated.